Welcome to Dropping In, a podcast of storytelling and interviews with your host, Winter Olympian Mercedes Nickel. Thank you so much for dropping in today. I'm your host, Mercedes Nickel, and throughout dropping in, I'm pretty unapologetically myself. I'm pretty authentic, and uh, I thought it seemed like a good fit to team up with a company called Sway, a brand built on purpose, committed to supporting communities and charities across Canada. I've chosen a cause that is dear to me, CanFund, who directly supports Team Canada athletes, Seem like a good fit as this whole series is about Team Canada athletes. And Sway will be making a donation on my behalf to CanFund. Sway is made with real juice and real good vibes. It's a delicious tasting vodka soda with nothing to hide. This is a special series where I have a co-host, Olympian Martha McCabe will be joining me through these 10 episodes as we chat with Team Canada athletes that could potentially be going to the Tokyo Games. Let me introduce the sport and guests that we will be dropping in with today. This sport requires power, endurance, and mental toughness. This competitive sport can be traced to the early 17th century and is one of the oldest Olympic sports. Though it was set to be in the program of the Games in 1896, the racing did not take place that year due to bad weather. So the males competed, have competed in the Olympics since the 1900s. The women's division was added to the Olympics a fair few years later in 1976. Today, there are 14 boat classes which race at the Olympics. This sport is a race where athletes use oars that are locked onto the boat. Team Canada will be sending 29 of these athletes to Tokyo this summer. Some will be sweep rowing, where each rower has one oar in both hands. The others will be sculling, where each rower has two oars, one in each hand. Now, the length of a rowing race at the Olympics is 2,000 meters. The guest that we will be dropping in with today has a degree in geography from the University of Washington. He can backflip on skis. He's raced the men's four rowing for Team Canada, placing sixth place at the Rio Games. And in 2016 in Toronto, at the Pan American Games, he took home not one, but two gold medals in the men's four and then one for the men's eight. He took home a silver medal in the men's eight at the 2012 London Games. And while I was qualifying for the 2018 Winter Olympics, he was taking a year off to ski in my backyard, Whistler. As well, he was training to become a firefighter. Now, this son, friend, RBC Olympian, two-time Pan American champion, world champion medalist, is going to his third Olympics this summer. Let's see how Will Crothers is doing. Will (laughs) Crothers, are you ready to drop in? I am ready to drop in. Okay. It's so good to see you. (laughs) Number one, where in the world are you today? Uh, I'm sitting in my bedroom in Victoria, BC. 
uh, just we I live in a little barn in the woods about 13 15 minutes away from the lake where we train so pretty nice little spot Amazing. yeah big red oh. barn that is pretty cool yeah um i'm gonna jump in with question two already all right uh you've obviously traveled the world a ton with rowing and sport you've seen a a lot of different boat houses yeah. Do you have a favorite spot or boathouse or? Um, favorite boathouse has got to be the University of Washington's boathouse where I went to school. Um, it's just an incredible, like brand new facility when I went there. It was cool because it was just being built when I was on my recruiting trip. So I kind of got to see the shell of it as it was um, being thrown together. And then... <laughs> when I got there it was all brand new and just an unbelievable place to you know train and they also had all of the academic services stuff there and all of the athletes ate in this giant cafeteria above the boat base so you'd have like football players and track athletes and rowers and volleyball players and baseball players all coming to the boathouse as this like spot to kind of hang out and eat so it was just a great vibe there all the time cool. uh yeah it was super cool super lucky um, Sounds like a mini Olympics. Yeah, yeah. It kind of has that vibe actually as when you're, you know, hanging out in the village and there's all sorts of different people there. Uh, as for my favorite place to row, it would probably be uh, Bled, Slovenia. Um, it is like a fairy tale there. You're literally rowing, you know, down the course and uh there's like like a fairy tale fairy, yeah, fairy tale castle up on this hill that overlooks the course and then there's this island which i just learned is actually the only island in the whole country i don't know that might be wrong that's secondhand knowledge to me but there's this island that's right beside the course that has this beautiful old monastery on it and you can kind of like swim out to it but you race right past it and uh then all the hotels are right at the start line of the course. So you can be in your hotel watching other races happening. And then the finish line has, you know, like a beer garden. And so it's just this, another unbelievable place to go and race. And, you know, it's for Where the was that Slovenia? Sure. Slovenia. Yeah. Slovenia. Yeah. A place called bled. Bled. Cool. Like you're bleeding. Yeah. But B L E D. B-L-E-D. Cool. Yeah. So cool. <laughs> I, you're going to have to send me some photos from that. It sounds like Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Number three, you seem to do all the sports. <laughs> so if you had to choose one summer sport and one winter sport, what would they be? Hmm. Like for Olympic games or just fun for fun. For fu oh, for fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. would you still yeah. choose rowing <laughs> yeah for fun um let's see i think right now just like summer summer sport me and the guys have been just really into playing ultimate frisbee nice. and because you know we were kind of stuck in quarantine but we had a frisbee so we could just be hanging out on the front lawn of our hotel tossing the disc around which was great um and then I just, I love that feeling of, you know, you feel like you've mastered flight when you just like throw a beautiful disc to somebody. <laughs> and you might yeah. <laughs> say, I don't do that. I'm yeah. like, oh God, I have to walk so far now. Yeah. No, I feel like 
feel like you're like an aerospace engineer every time you let go of the disc. So it's just <laughs> a nice. It's a nice feeling. And then I guess winter. Uh, I think skiing now might be the top one for me, which is, I'm sorry, Mercedes, I was a snowboarder growing up my whole life and kind of took it up when I moved to Whistler skiing. Um, as long as you're yeah, in the mountains, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. It's also like hockey is like a close second because pond hockey is just so much fun. So much fun. Yeah. True. Good choice. Well, what is it? Is it, is it just like downhill skiing? Is it flying down the mountain? Is it doing jumps? What is it? Um, I think it's just a little bit of everything. You know, you get out there in the mountains with your friends. You know, you're all, you know, sitting around a booter, egging each other on to do something bigger. Oh, it's the drinking higher. beer part and then doing this, <laughs> isn't it? Fire, fireball whiskey, actually. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Good call. Smaller yeah. packaging. Easier to fit yeah. in the pocket. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, I don't know, flying down hills is pretty sick, too. Like, carving up some fresh corduroy, as they say. <laughs> How many backflips did you do when you moved out here? Um, no, like, definitely definitely a fair few. Uh, once I landed the first one, it was all I wanted to do. So I'd always try to, you know, end my day over in Booterville on Black Home there. And I would just go hit some big jumps and try to you know, just get better at sticking to landing so that hopefully one day I can just, you know, throw them down wherever I want because it's such a fun <laughs> feeling. I was always, I was jealous that you were here in Whistler and I was like training for the next games. And I was yeah. like, he's living the life that I would like to be doing. <laughs> and this is like my most strenuous point of my life again. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now the roles have been fixed. The roles so. are reversed. <laughs> I'm now playing golf and you are game on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, um, question four. So drug testing, I'm, I'm, I'm making it a guess here that you get drug tested a fair amount, but you tell me, like, um, do you? And do they just show up at practice or any crazy weird stories about drug testing experiences you've had? Um, trying to think. I do get drug tested quite a bit. Actually, this year has been crazy for it. It seems like I got drug tested like once a week for a little while, it seemed. I think I got drug tested five times over six weeks no. at one point, like wow. when we were leading into our qualifier. It was just crazy. But yeah, they, they show up at home, at training. Um, but yeah, you have you guys know about the guaranteed testing slot and stuff, but yeah. Mine well, is always set from, go ahead. Oh, I was going to ask if you could just like explain for the listeners how drug testing oh, yeah. works. Cause they might not know. Okay. Yeah. So you have to fill out your whereabouts is what it's called. And you have to tell them where your overnight accommodation is. And then you have to say like, I guarantee that I will be at this location for a one hour period so that they can come and test you no matter what at that time. So typically I think athletes put it early in the morning because they figure they'll still be in bed at that time. And it's kind of the one thing you can guarantee an athlete needs is rest. And so, yeah, mine's like 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Um, I think it's early enough that they never want to come at that time because they always, <laughs> they, they always come. me oh, at yeah? 5 a.m. Yeah. But I want to hear your stories. But yeah, they uh, they do occasionally come then, but I, I think they always try to get me around like 8.30 before I'm going to sleep. 
Um, oh, at night. But yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And then it's the worst when they get you in the morning and you've just gone to the washroom and then yeah. you have to sit there drinking water and you're going to be late for practice and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, yeah. And then so for the listeners, when you do get drug tested, obviously there's like a person that is there watching you take yeah, a pee your and then yeah. your shirt is like uh, just above your yeah. nipples, I guess, and then below yeah. your knees. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Super invasive. Yeah. That's what you get for being an athlete. Yeah, they're definitely in your bubble at that point. Uh, <laughs> it was actually pretty funny. There was one time they came and it was just for blood because they do blood sampling and urine sampling and but the guy was just on autopilot and didn't tell me that it was just blood so we just went through the whole thing to do the urine sample and you know I peed in the cup brought it up we're you know doing all the stuff with the jars that you seal it off in and send it away and then he's like oh actually uh we're not doing urine I'm like no (laughs) yeah so we had to then go through this whole process of like properly disposing of the urine because they don't want you to seal it and keep it for later or something. I don't know, but oh. it was, it was very, it was a new experience. Yeah. But it was pretty funny because he was just on autopilot, but we always get the same people. So yeah, I'm never mad at them. They're always really nice to us. And, and they volunteer. Yeah. yeah I know, it's, crazy. <laughs> it's such a weird <laughs> job to volunteer for. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, you can't be mad. I've had them come at Christmas um, at in Toronto at my hotel at like five in the morning where I'd yeah. had drinks before and I probably <laughs> just went to bed and they're like, we're here. And I was like, yeah, well, I'll just put a bra and some underwear on. So <laughs> you're going to see everything anyway. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Poor people. Why? Will, why do you think they were testing so much? Is it because you think maybe you took that break for a couple of years or like, or just randomly or? I don't know. I think sometimes it's just, you know, your num your number just comes up, but yeah. like, there's also multiple organizations that can request it. Like FISA can request yeah. it. Rowing Canada can request it. And WADA can request it. And CCS can request it. Yeah. So yeah. it might've just been, you know, yeah. a, num- a number of different people putting in the, the we need Will Crothers urine request. We're, yeah. we're like all the rowers or was it just you singled out? You're like, here we go. Um, a few of them were getting tested for sure, but it was like a, nobody was getting tested as much as I was in that moment, I don't think, or I didn't hear about it anyway. But usually we're all, you know, in comms with each other and we're like, oh, drug testers are on the move. Yeah, and then you like, know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, unlucky you. Yeah. <laughs> drug testing. But, the, and not glamorous parts of being an athlete yeah happy to have a a clean sport though so it's a give and take yeah 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 Yeah. for sure for sure okay number five I know you train a lot Mm -hmm. a lot a lot I mean um I read the book about rowing that um oh gosh what's his name boys in the boat no four-year olympian oh yeah jeremiah brown yeah, his book. And I was like, damn, I chose the right sport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> damn, I chose the wrong sport. Yeah, you can come <laughs> back for more. Um, just for people that may have not read about rowing or know too much about rowing, can you explain how much and often you train? Yeah, I mean, so rowing is a power endurance sport. So it's a unique one where you you're going really hard all the time and you have to train that ability 
over and over and over again because you know when you get to the line in tokyo or wherever you you know it's kind of like a pain contest between all the boats and you kind of see who's wasted the most time over the winter i guess uh to quote conlon mccabe on that one that was his uh his quote uh but yeah so it's power endurance sport is essentially like doing a power clean in the boat uh you have about 220 power clean opportunities in a men's four race which is what i'm doing and yeah you you have to train long hours because you're building up this super big cardiovascular base and so that then you can stack that anaerobic on top of it Uh, so your body's ability to get rid of lactic acid through the bloodstream and your oxygen carrying capacity are all very important in rowing. So, um, yeah, we, we just train crazy long hours and then there's a big part of it is the technical part as well, uh, where you're just making these small, small changes, every stroke to try to get the boat running just perfectly and, uh, kind of uninterrupted. And so it takes, you know, I remember my high school coach telling me it takes 5,000 strokes to make a technical change. And so it also takes a long time just to perfect that stroke. And so everybody's sort of chasing that feeling as well as, you know, keeping the heart rate up, keeping the power up and yeah, trying to keep the boat humming along. Yeah, it's exhausting. But are you in like the gym all the time? Are you just on the rowing machine or like, I've never seen you guys train or, and how often are you on the water? Uh, we're on the water every morning, okay. um, except Sunday morning, Sundays we get off, although we haven't had a day off now in like two weeks, which is getting to be a little something, something. You're fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're on the water every morning and then we do have some dry land training where we go and lift weights or sit on the rowing machines. And it's good to have a balance of that because, yeah. You have to be on the water to obviously work on the rowing stroke, but it's nice to be off the water and just looking only at the numbers of your performance uh, as far as your just physical output. And uh, it's also nice because the coach can get right down beside you and help you make some changes if you need to. Um, And then the weightlifting as well is uh, pretty important because you got to be, you got to be strong as well as fit. So how are your hands? They're actually really good right now. They're not. Oh. Wow. Oh my yeah. gosh. So that's got like ca- a lot of calluses on there. Like but <laughs> a fistful of calluses is what I'm yeah. seeing. But yeah, yeah, they're they're actually in really good shape right now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. there's no they, open uh, wounds. Yeah, but that's kind of the way that it like I've I've always found after four years you've kind of like figured it out and your hands are used to it and it's kind of a nice feeling. Um getting to that point obviously oh. you don't have big yeah. cracks and blisters and all that stuff but. fair 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 I was like it's yeah. a great feeling having massive calluses <laughs> on your hands yeah. but it would be better than broken wounds yeah exactly 100%. kind of I like to think of it as you know you're kind of honing honing a weapon to get ready to fight and like you know you start out with this rugged piece of steel or something and you're just hammering away at it for four years until you get it to this nice fine tipped spear and then you get to go to war with it oh man they're they're your third games (laughs) i always like think 
it's so much of your life, but it does yeah. go by quickly. Do you, yeah, it's for, crazy. for me, it was like, I kind of forgot how hard it was to qualify, but for you or you know what you're getting yourself into, right? Yeah. To a, to a certain extent, like, I mean, I know the work that needs to be done. Um, and I mean, this go around was the hardest to qualify for us. Like we actually just qualified at the last chance qualifier, AKA the race of death, um, <laughs> where two crews go on to the Olympics basically, because usually you would try to qualify the year before at the world championships. Yeah. And we had a relatively fresh group of guys in an eight and although I think we probably, you know, could have taken that eight and qualified it at the last chance qualifier. Uh, we went through basically a period where like a lot of athletes got cut based off of um, a result at the national championships that we were, you know, thinking wasn't as important as it was. And we're all returning from training or from our break. And then, and, yeah, our team sort of got slashed apart, which was really brutal. A lot of guys got cut. And so then we had this smaller group going to a four or, you know, trying to build a four and then qualify that four at the last chance qualifier. So this was by far the most stressful period of qualifying that I've had in my four years or my, you know, whatever, 10 years here at the training center. Years. Yeah. 20 <laughs> years of 20 Forever. years around. Yeah. So uh yeah it was super stressful especially because we actually had we had selected our boat and then half of the boat uh broke ribs and so you can break ribs in rowing because basically it's an overuse injury and your ribs are supposed to move normally but if you get a lot of tension then the ribs stop moving and then you can actually fracture those ribs is it because you're so strong you're too strong <laughs> uh I guess you could say that you know you're like we can, too well, strong you broke your own ribs with your abs we'll say that yeah. just to just so people think rowing is really crazy yeah we're too strong but really yeah like the ribs are supposed to move but then when you you know are training a lot and you get a lot of tension in your body just like any sport when you're training you're like overusing it then that's when you get into the risky situations and can break ribs or blow a disc or something. So, so two of the guys in your boat broke ribs. Of yeah. So, so they broke ribs about six weeks out from our qualifier and great, 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 they were great, great. a week. <laughs> yeah. The real great uh, bone takes about six weeks to heal. So we had two guys go down a week apart. And so it immediately became just incredibly stressful yeah. and luckily we had two spares and they jumped into the boat and we were able to push the project along while those guys healed up unfortunately only one of the guys got back in time and we kind of had like a bit of seat racing at this uh, race oh, wow. series that we did which is sort of like an in-house race against each other and so yeah, basically one of the guys just didn't have enough time and wasn't healthy enough to train. So he, you know, trained for four years only to break a rib in the final five weeks. And would and, he have uh, been a rookie as well? Because the three other guys in your boats are, are in your boat are rookies for the Olympics, right? Yeah, they've never been. He was also, yeah, uh, <sighs> a fresh face for the Olympics. So, Jeez. but he's 
he's got, uh, you know, he's got big dreams and he wants to come back and go to France in 2024. So, yeah, but it was uber stressful and, um, yeah, luckily we were able to push on and get the job done. (laughs) I'm so proud. I was like uh, jumping up for a joy when I heard that you qualified. I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) <laughs> yeah because i know like it's so stressful oh man it was crazy wild yeah. it was amazing um okay i know I've, I've hung out with you rowers like a fair amount and i've seen <laughs> what you guys eat and it's insane um but the, just the sheer quantity is hilarious um <laughs> but uh after like a long day of training for you a big training day what's your go-to meal and i kind of think it's like go-to meals yeah <laughs> how much do you eat? i like... don't know how much you eat how much do you eat <laughs> uh yeah i mean it varies depending on the athlete but it's like anywhere between like five thousand calories up to close to ten thousand calories a day so yeah listeners, <laughs> i'm someone who's listeners do not do that don't do that yeah 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 <laughs> um yeah i'm probably like on the lower end uh, and I probably like, I know at rest, uh, we've, I've done my, like, what's it called? Mm, it's a test where they just test your resting metabolic rate. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'm required to have like 2,600 calories if I'm just laying in bed all day, basically. So then we go out and we add, you know, maybe three to five hours of training, depending on the day. And then before you know it, you're over 5,000 calories. So, yeah a lot it's a lot of food wow. it's a lot of uh, what, like what what's what's the easiest thing for you to to make or do you have food that do you have chefs um we're actually super fortunate right now we do have a, a breakfast program so after our first breakfast we finish practice and we go get another breakfast at this <laughs> local diner and uh it's been picked up by some rowing canada alums or they've created a program where we get ten dollars a day and so there's a set menu where we just wheel past the diner and pick up a little to go uh, meal. We used to sit in obviously before COVID, but now it's a little bit more strict right, with right. picking up your food and dashing. Um, but yeah, and then I don't know. I, I really like eating as unprocessed food as I can at this point in my rowing career, you know, I can no longer just, scarf down a Domino's pizza and move <laughs> on to the next. So I try to, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll roast up a bunch of vegetables, cook up some rice, you know. Are you vegetarian? Protein. Uh, no, okay. I'm not, but, uh, my girlfriend is sort of plant-based a little bit yeah. more so than I am, but, um, yeah, she shared some bacon with me this morning though. So <laughs> yeah, sort of, the, sort of yeah. The, the gateway meat, if you will. <laughs> It is. So you yeah. have like two breakfasts. Would you have two lunches and two dinners? What are we getting at? Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'll usually, let's say we're on a triple day practice. Then I would have my first breakfast Then I'd get that diner breakfast and then I'd come home and eat lunch and then typically a snack before the next practice. And then I'd want to eat something relatively quick after the third practice uh depending on what it is if it's weights it's like i'll have a big protein shake and then typically dinner after that and then you know maybe a little nighttime snack hey 
yeah it's so funny every athlete's so different as to what they eat like if i'm on the hill i'm like i have nuts in my pocket and i forget about water sometimes (laughs) yeah 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 i could definitely be better at hydrating i think Mm. but uh i'm a bit of a camel i suppose at this point in my career totally fair um okay number seven your sports taking you to a lot of different places is there one spot that you went traveling um, that you never thought you would go? Um, let's see. Uh, I think the one that maybe jumps out to me is probably, uh, well, Rio was one now that I'm thinking of it, but when I was in high school, actually, we had just a really awesome group of people. We had a lot of uh, athletes. We had like a men's eight and a women's eight that were all kind of in the same grade. So we had this great crew of people and uh, they had, our parents had the big enough, big enough imaginations to organize a training camp to go down to the Cuban national training center, which was very cool. And so we got to go down to Cuba as high school kids and go train at the Cuban National Training Center and row up and down this like beautiful lake that was surrounded by sugarcane fields. And, you know, you had the Cuban National Kayak and rowing team there and they're just, you know, didn't have the greatest equipment, but you could tell that they had awesome work ethic and they're just out there like throwing plates around and rowing as hard as they could. And it was cool too, because we had this awesome program where we ended up switching uh like we we hosted them back in Canada and they came to the Royal Henley Regatta in St. Catharines, Ontario. And so they came and got to race in Canada, which was really neat. And you know, we had such an amazing experience as high school kids in Cuba. Like yeah. you can imagine like some of the days like we would be training a, a lot, obviously, but then our parents obviously wanted to go see Veradero and all these <laughs> unbelievable places. And so they would, you know, sit on a patio and enjoy <laughs> the Cuban rum and let a bunch of kids run around wild in Veradero. And I think I remember we all rented scooters and it was awesome. And then it just started to pour rain, but it just like filled the streets with water. And then we were just like hitting these puddles at like top speed <laughs> on our scooters. <laughs> and funny story, I like, I remember I was riding this scooter and then it started to get a flat tire. Oh. And as a high school kid, I'm like, oh no, like what, what's happening now? So I ride it all the way back to the rental spot. And in like, I'm trying to speak broken Spanish and he's trying to speak broken English. And I'm trying to explain that there's a flat tire and he tells me to go get it plugged at a gas station out the way. So I'm like driving this scooter with a flat oh. all the way up to this gas station to try to get it plugged couldn't get it plugged drive back and I tell him like no like they wouldn't plug it like I don't know what to say and so then he like puts me to work for about 30 minutes and I have to run back and forth and get scooters for him and collect all these scooters at the end of the day and t- until finally I was like all right man I'm done I'm out of here <laughs> just hoofed it back to my squad and yeah it was a hilarious time but Cuba was Cuba was awesome. It was a really awesome memory. That's rad. Um, you brought up the the Henley Regatta in Ontario, and I'm so interested that you that it's called that because I've been to the Henley Regatta in Henley 
for, on the Thames, but like why mm-hmm. why do why do why are they called the Henley Regatta in other places that is not um I think that in St. Catharines it's like Henley Island is the name of the island. And so I think oh, that okay. and for them both to be royal regattas, they are both uh sanctioned by the Queen. Oh, okay. I guess. So I think there's some Commonwealth royalty stuff that I'm not quite privy to. No, that makes <laughs> sense. I just thought yeah. are all the regattas named the Henley regatta, but no, no, just those not. two. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Common it. misconception. Got it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jumping in with number eight here. Do, do you have uh, like a hero or someone you like look up to either now? And if not now, maybe, I don't know, when you're growing up. Um, yeah, I think maybe not just one hero, but when I was growing up and in high school, it was sort of like 2001, two, three, four. And, uh, the Canadian men's eight at the time was full of a bunch of guys who were current world champions and headed into Athens to, you know, go and finish off the quadrennial as world champions and then become Olympic champions. And so, there was, it was really cool because this guy named Kevin Light, who was the bow seat of the Beijing men's eighth that won gold, uh, would make these videos and he put them out just on a DVD. And I remember getting my hands on a copy of this DVD that had these, both these rowing videos that were just incredible and inspiring for a kid my age. And so I think all of the guys from that era were sort of people that I looked up to um, as I sort of, you know, became aware of my dream of becoming an, an Olympic champion at some some point in my life. And so, yeah, as once those videos kind of got me thinking about it and I had some really great teachers as well in high school and great coaches that pushed me in the right direction. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably when I decided I was going to go for it. And so those guys would probably be my rowing idols uh, now that they're retired and everything but I still lean on them from time to time for you know wisdom and just uh, be a sounding board when yeah they've I been there the they've done that myself yeah exactly that makes sense okay number nine is is going to be a rapid answer okay it's a very serious question <laughs> what is your feeling on socks and sandals Ooh, wool socks yeah. in Birkenstocks in the wintertime is okay, but I would say otherwise it's a big no-no. Ah, yes. <laughs> what did you say? Boat socks or bull socks? Wool, wool socks. Wool, wool. socks. Oh. People you know, do that like, a lot. They do. If you're around the house and you're wearing your wool socks and you got to slip outside for a little bit, I'm okay with it. You know. Perfect. Especially like on the West Coast, you can get away with it. Especially in Victoria, it's, you know, it's a bit of a granola town at times, so. Uh, but I imagine you'd get arrested in Toronto if you did it. <laughs> the fashion police would be out in full force. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Good. Okay, final one, number 10. Um, super pumped to watch you in Tokyo. How oh, yeah. are you feeling about it? I feel great. Yeah, I mean... Now that uh, the qualifier is done, like if you'd asked me a couple of weeks ago, I would have been like, 
you know, don't ask me that. But yeah, I mean, we sort of had some stressful stuff leading up to that, obviously, like I said, but now the guys all feel really loose. Like we're all just having a great time as we head into this and it feels like we're on track. Um, you know, oftentimes you'll go into a summer of racing and I like to compare it to, you know, you're surfing a wave and if you're in the right spot, you're going to pop up and ride the wave beautifully. But if, you know, you're too far forward, that wave's going to smash you. Mm-hmm. And if you're too far back, you're just going to fall off the lip of it and miss the wave. And it feels to me like we're right in the pocket and doing the right things. And our coach is setting us up really well. So, yeah, I, I feel really good right now. The guys feel really good. I think we just got to, you know, stay healthy in this final week before we leave. Mm-hmm. And, uh yeah, I, I don't feel like anything can stop us right now from our best performance. So I'm super yes. fired up for that. Yeah, <laughs> it's I exciting. Wait, I can't wait. Yeah. When do you head over? We head over on July 1st. July 1st. Wow. Yeah, so it's coming up and we're going to go to a city called Sagamahara, which is a bit east of Tokyo and to uh, kind of two weeks there and adapt to the heat and mm-hmm. the time change. And yeah just you know, hopefully get some of those travel nerves out of the way and mm-hmm. settle in and yeah fired so up, fired up just talking about it. <laughs> so exciting. um yeah. I feel like the, our heat wave right now is is going to help you with the heat in Tokyo uh Martha, yeah. you're just over the mountains from us but it's this week's going to be like a hot one out west in Canada yeah so yeah amazing we're also just training up in a place called strathcona park which is just incredible like this lake that's you know 40 kilometers long with mountains on every side of it and we had this sauna uh where we were staying at the lodge so we could go in and out of the sauna all night long and we just like we're like this is gonna help us with the heat for sure (laughs) to prepare yeah yeah it was awesome well, um, I wish you all the best of luck and I really, really cannot wait to watch you. And I thank you so much for dropping in with us today. Where can people find you online if they want to follow everything that you're doing? Yeah, uh, you can find me on Will Crothers 2020, I guess, on Instagram. I don't really use Twitter as much. Uh, I'm super big on MySpace these days. Yes, MySpace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I guess Instagram would probably be the best way <laughs> to find me. Cool. Well, thank you so much for dropping in, and you will see Martha in Tokyo. All right, but um, I yes. will be over here you. cheering you on. Okay, sounds good. Thanks. Great to catch yeah, up with you guys. Luck, that was awesome. Sweet. you but I've been having a really good time interviewing the Team Canada athletes and I'm so excited to be partnered with Sway because obviously I'm pretty real to who I am and so are the athletes that we've been chatting to. Sway is going to be donating to CanFund, an organization that directly supports Team Canada's athletes. Sway is made with real juice and real good vibes. Honestly, you're going to want to taste this vodka soda. It's different from the others. Sway is a delicious tasting vodka soda with nothing to hide. Cheers. Thank you, DJ Kenosis, for the music and my mom for the intro voice. 
Thanks for dropping in. If you want to watch this podcast, head over to YouTube. Follow Dropping In on Instagram and Facebook at Dropping In with Mercedes. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.